Hey, this is Jeff Bond. I am so glad that you're here for another edition of Chat with Leaders, where we're passionate about amplifying the stories of leaders who show us how to use our influence as a force for good. We are so excited to feature Jen Graham today on the show. She is the founder and CEO of Inclusive in Atlanta, Georgia, formerly known as Civic Dinners. And for the past five years, she's been leading her team's purpose of creating a more inclusive world by bringing people together for structured conversations that matter. And while their story began around bringing people together around the dinner table, it's quickly become more than just food when the pandemic and 2020 and physical distancing has changed everything, but they have responded so well and are growing so rapidly in more of a digital format today and just continue to create these brave spaces for dialogue and intentionally inviting more and more people to the table. You'll hear a little bit more about her past as a community organizer and that led to her founding story today how they became a benefit corporation truly focused on social impact, and how now she is on the journey to become a certified B Corporation in the state of Georgia, which is why we're also incredibly excited to announce that Nathan Stuck, the chair of B Local Georgia, will be taking on more hosting duties and is our main interviewer today for this chat. They did a remarkable job, and it's such an inspiring story and example of servant leadership. So stay with us and enjoy. Jen, welcome to the show and excited to have you. Thank you so much, Nathan. This is exciting. Yeah, these are always fun. I just think they're such a great way to connect and learn from each other, learn from our guests. So we're excited to have you and just very excited for everything going on at Inclusive right now. So we will jump right into it. You know, I've heard you as a guest on other podcasts. The story is really exciting, it's refreshing, and it's something, I think, new to a lot of people. So what motivated you to start Inclusive as a means to empower businesses, communities, and individuals to create positive social change through small group structured conversation? My background's actually as a community organizer and as a designer. And it's kind of funny story how I literally fell into community organizing on my way to work one day, where I hit parallel grate when I was biking to work. And it launched me into organizing in the city on behalf of making the city more bike friendly. And after helping the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition build what we called Atlanta Streets Alive, which was an event where we allowed people to close the streets to cars and open them to people where people could just experience what safe streets were like. We also gave people a way to participate, whether it was a Zumba show that they wanted to put on or... Um, you know, any other yoga, but we had all kinds of activities, maybe a hundred different activities that people could participate in or even host their own on this three mile stretch of street. And I realized when you give people the opportunity to become part of the experience, they light up in ways that they normally wouldn't if they were just there to observe and to you know, see what others are doing. So this idea of how do you make culture change, something as simple as imagining your streets in a new way, what could streets look like if they had bike lanes on them? You know, we gave them the, the ability to experience it firsthand and invited them to become part of that story. So the moral for me was cutting my teeth on community organizing was all about how do you make it fun? How do you make it social? And how do you make it meaningful? Because we ended up having people buy bikes for their family just so that they could participate 
and Atlanta Streets Alive. And that to me is about culture change. When you really get people to change behavior, when it comes to whatever issue they might care about, if you make it fun and engaging, people are more willing to participate and become part of the movement. And so that really was the instigator for me. At the time, I had also been a co-organizer of TEDx Atlanta, working with incredibly brilliant people on setting them up on stage and helping them give the talk of their life. And I realized after five years and over a dozen of these conferences where we were curating the audience just as carefully as we were curating the people on stage, I realized we weren't giving everybody a chance to participate. And there was this lack of engagement and participation from the audience that really started to bug me. And then when we tried to do Q&A, we ended up getting our wrist slapped by Ted saying, no, 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 you can't do that. It's against the rules. You know, it's only the speakers that are able to share their voice. And so I started to become a bit disgruntled and wanting to find other creative ways to engage more voices and you had to go smaller. So this idea of having structured small groups with six to eight people still focused on a singular issue or topic, but giving everybody a chance to share their lived experience and connect to each other, build those relationships, build trust, and then find ways that they can actually make a difference and commit to to some form of action. That's where this birth concept of civic dinners was born. So this idea of like small groups, still structured, barring from Ted, the 18 minutes and, and all that, like there's something nice about having a recipe and it seems more memorable and doable and making it fun. And so, you know, we started every dinner, making it fun and social and meaningful and giving people an outlet to be able to engage with each other and around the issues that they care about. That's fantastic. And I think you're a walking example too of the old adage of if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. You took something that you were just passionate about and have just kind of kept going with it to, I don't know, I mean, form this successful company that continues to grow and inspires others. So I think that in its own is an inspirational story. But along those lines, I think one of the things, you know, obviously it's a chat with leaders podcast. One of the things I'd love to touch on is as you grow that baby and this idea of this is something I'm so passionate about. Can you talk a little bit about shaping all of that together, the purpose, the mission, the values, but also growing a team of people and learning those lessons, sometimes maybe the hard way of how do I delegate more of this work? How do we stay true to our passion as we're scaling and our mission, but also getting the right people in the right places and knowing when to kind of step away? Going back to the purpose, I'm trained as a designer through design school. And my first design teacher told me that your role as a designer is to create a whole new world that doesn't exist, that no one can live without. And it really rocked my world. But that's like, whoa, (laughs) how do you do that? Like, that's like creating something you don't even know you need and you can't live without. But it really made me think hard about what, you know, creating something, manifesting something is powerful and it can be used for good or for bad. And so I started to identify kind of making my list. I was going to run a company one day and had to have a positive impact and have to be a B Corp. It had to be something that generated more benefit than it did negativity or loss. Couldn't contribute to the landfill in any way or environmental destruction. It had to be something that would create a net positive impact on people and the environment. I was really into the environmental movement back in 2008. I got to see Ray Anderson speak and it just changed my whole view on business and like how business can be a tool for good. So I, that ethos was baked in and I really wanted to use my design powers for good in a way. And I kept thinking back to that purpose statement and I thought, well, 
my mission is to design a more inclusive world. I didn't really know what that meant. And then I just stuck with it. But to me, that was about participation. It's about making sure that everybody has a role to play in creating a better world and creating a better future for us all. And that we have to bring everybody along with us. And that's like a core component of community organizing is that you have to bring others along with you. It's a very lonely road if you try to do it all yourself. You've got to be able to bring others along with you. And in order to bring others along with you, you have to inspire them with your own personal story. You have to connect with them on the shared challenges and struggles and aspirations, and then paint them a picture of why now, what can we actually do? That has been part of the mantra and so civic dinners now inclusive was bootstrapped until early 2020. I was part of every single possible incubator, accelerator I could find, I could get my hands on (laughs) for the first four years trying to learn. Because the first time founder, I had no idea how to run a company, how to grow a team. I had done some consulting, but that's one-on-one. That's that's just managing myself. So really, once I started to turn into a true SaaS company, going moving from consulting into a SaaS, that's where I leaned heavily on mentors, other founders, And discovered kind of, okay, here's what you do. Step one, just write down all of the activities that you're doing and identify the areas and your weak points like finance and other areas that I don't know. Marketing, I mean, I know branding, but do I know how to create a marketing machine? Not so much. So being able to identify, obviously, development. I'm not, I'm a tech entrepreneur, but I have no code ability. So being able to identify the areas where I would need support in order to create and make the vision of reality was essential. And then piece by piece, you know, we were bootstrapped. So I had to bring in the revenue first, sell this dream and then build it <laughs> and execute it and then make sure it could happen again. And getting and just by grit, we grew, we would grow and then we would have to let people go and we'd grow again. And we'd let people, you know, it's just, you're kind of moving with the flow of where it is and learning by doing. And so I think we really started to grow back in 2020, we had five people with the pandemic hit, we had to pivot. And thankfully, we had some incredible customers that stayed with us through the pivot through the online switch from 100% in person to 100% online, and exploded, we grew across the world. And that started to give us a sense of confidence that, wow, there's much larger opportunity here, beyond just the dinners and the locality. What if we you know, it started to open our minds up to what else could be possible. You know, how can others participate in conversations that are happening around the world? And we're getting there, but inclusive is truly at its sense, giving people a chance to participate in their future and in whether it's around issues that they care about at their community level or within their workplace, but giving them a voice and a seat at the table and a chance to engage in these topics with others that they normally don't have a space to talk about. That's wonderful. There was a silver lining to last year where I think we did realize via technology, there's obviously pros and cons, but there's an accessibility to anywhere in the world at any moment to form human connections and meet people from different backgrounds, cultures, upbringings that I think maybe we took for granted or we hadn't fully maximized until we absolutely had to. Oh, you're so right. We knew that we needed the sense of connection when people were in social isolation for the first time. And it was so new to everybody. Everybody was on lockdown. We were able to pivot within 10 days to go online. And I also felt like it's not fast enough. (laughs) But in in hindsight, you know, we thought, oh, we're going to be online for three weeks and never imagined it would be like 18 months. So yeah, giving people a chance to connect, meaningfully connect online and through video has been really helpful and has given 
even broader access to the conversations than we did before. We are going to take a quick break for this message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Inspire EDU, a nonprofit organization putting technology devices into the hands of Atlanta's underserved communities. The need for technology devices has accelerated due to the pandemic, and Inspire EDU makes a positive difference helping marginalized learners. Through its partners and supporters like you, Inspire EDU helps learners become 21st century scholars. Learn how you can support their mission at iuatl.org. And now back to our chat. I wanted to ask a question kind of following up on some of that leadership about what was the most challenging point, but it's hard to overlook 2020 when you go, what was the most challenging part of starting your business? But just from an overall lessons learned, I mean, I guess if you could give us the 30,000 foot overview, I mean, everybody that's been on that entrepreneurial journey has fought imposter syndrome, has fought a like, why are people buying my product sense of feeling. (laughs) But just talk to us a little bit about kind of some of the lessons learned along the way and kind of I guess the tools in your arsenal that you pulled out to kind of overcome them and move forward, press ahead. The biggest challenge for me, and I'm still struggling with it, is this move from founder to CEO. I've even had a my leadership coach who is incredible, has helped me even separate myself from the company because I think it's really tempting. I mean, it's, it's just innate that the founder and even the, the consciousness of the founder is so embedded into the company that it's really hard to not take things personally if things don't go well. And that was like, it's starting, it started to manifest in different ways. And especially when, when we grew from five to 30, it was in, within a year that all remote, like that was, it was a lot. So it, it required a different management structure and a management philosophy that is very different from when you have five people. So going from five to 30 requires an entirely different operational mindset and how you run things. And you go from doing to coaching. You know, we still didn't even have all of the processes and put things written down because we were still learning so much on the spot. And we're constantly finding, you know, testing and iterating. And so nothing is ever completely cemented which is great because that's the startup mentality, but it's also terrifying for people who want to follow a step-by-step guide and like stay the course and run it through. And then we're like, oh, changing, changing tact, right? You're just having to be nimble and just making sure that we're making the right hires to make sure that those people, when they come on board, they know what they're getting into, that they know that this is going to be a quick twitch, changing tact, adapting to the needs of our customers as much as what we're learning internally. And Yeah, it's been a ride and there are up days and there are down days. And that's just like part of the magic and the hustle that that just comes with being part of a startup and in a really exciting space. And also I've had to give myself a lot of grace. I think also having, I gave birth during the pandemic to my second child and just, we have quite a few mothers and fathers on our team that are raising families and those that want to start. So we're really living, walking the talk as we're doing it. We have our own DNI program that we have not arrived yet in that space either. And even as we move into our new name of inclusive, like we're still learning what it means. I mean, I'm super proud of our diversity on our team. We do have diverse, a diverse team and we're working on ways to even be more inclusive at, even as we have 30 people as part of our group. Like how do we still make sure everybody feels heard and engaged and is coming along with us and that I'm not too far out front <laughs> in making key decisions? So many lessons learned. I'd say for other entrepreneurs, what has helped me the most is definitely having the leadership coach 
to ground you and to help you recenter yourself. I've also committed to meditation because I think that's the only way for me to like tune back into the innate wisdom that exists and the guides and the energies that is there. Become a big believer in chakras and like making sure that I move my body to make sure everything's good. Sometimes I go ground my feet outside and connect with nature again, making sure that I take some time off to just completely reset and then come back to it with fresh eyes. But also I've got several incredible mentors, but at least having one that you know that is your go-to, having someone (laughs) that can be your sounding board that is not on your payroll, that is someone who has complete objective perspective and can give you guidance and is there to just to see you win. You need that person on your side because there will be times when you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And so thinking just having that support system is really powerful. Yeah. And if they're always agreeing with you, you probably need to find somebody new. Yeah. Exactly. Push back there. Well, that was really insightful. And then you're not going to sit down with myself and not get a question about B Corps. So this is the Be Local Georgia chat with leaders. And this is a question, and to put it in full context, you know, there's about 4,000 B Corps around the world right now, and there were 4,400 applications came in over the last 12 months. So it's peaking at the time. Yeah. Including, including one from you. You'd think that there would have been, you know, maybe last year, there's kind of this, this, grand business meet social experiment that is the B Corp universe. And I think the average layperson probably would have bet against B Corps that social enterprises would make it out of 2020 unscathed. And for the most part, they did. The movement's growing. You're seeing a lot more traditional businesses, not necessarily just social enterprises. But the inspiring thing to me and leading into my question is, 2020, everything going on, you've scaled, you've gone from five to 30 employees, you're pivoting to digital. Why did you not just put that in like a drawer and come back to it in 2021? What was it about getting your certification, working with Carolina and her team at Cultivating Capital? What was it that made you go, you know, kind of damn the torpedoes, we're still doing this? It's always been core to my purpose to build a company. If I was going to go the for-profit route, it had to be a social impact company, period. And I knew when we started going down the track of investment back in early 2020, we took on our first convertible note back in January of 2020, pre-pandemic. And that set us on course to you know, become a C-Corp. And we, as soon as we became a C-Corp, I didn't even know that you could become a B-Corp right away. We went from LLC to C-Corp and then had to convert to the Benefit Corporation later, which I now wish I would have done the other way, just go straight to Benefit Corp. <laughs> Same tax stuff, but um, didn't know. And once that move had been made, we knew that we were going to be raising money. And I knew the minute that we were going to start signing on investors as co-owners in the company, I really wanted it to be cemented that we were a benefit corporation, that the purpose of the company, no matter you know if change in ownership happens now or in the future, that this was cemented in our DNA. And so I knew that the practices and principles of becoming a benefit corporation means that first you have to self-examine yourself, your company, and make sure that your practices and principles are in place. And we were only maybe you know 10 or 12 or 18 at that point when we started the application. And It's grown more since then, but it it helped us even put practices in place that most companies don't do until they have 50 or more employees. But hey, we're doing it now because we plan to be there next year. Let's go ahead and and start building those principles and finding ways that, yes, we can do things a little bit differently here and there. We're not quite there yet. We're We're just now signed all the paperwork for our 401k. So now we're finally able to 
to meet some of those probably bonus points that we'll get next year for that. But it's kind of icing on the cake at that point. We really want to make sure that we are walking the walk and doing the good work and making sure that our employees are taken care of, that we're doing the practices that we want our customers to be implementing as part of, as a result of actually engaging in the conversations that we put out into the world. So it was really important for me to make sure that we had integrity built into our core. That's fantastic. And I agree wholeheartedly. We started the process at Advictorium with eight employees, you know, in the handbook, there was no handbook. There was no vacation <laughs> policy was like, Hey Jeff, I'm going on vacation cool. right. See you next week. How yeah. much are you taking this year? Nobody cared. But you know, if you're going to scale, we're at 150 employees now. It's like, how do you, that is not scalable. And honestly, that foundation of starting to track those things, like you were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, like starting to track those things as regular KPIs, just as much as I'm going to set goals and strategy around sales numbers and revenue growth. I'm going to do the same thing around my DEI numbers, around my, you know, women in leadership, around community involvement and all these things that you start, once you're measuring them, now you can kind of quantify, you can goal set, and then you can form a strategy that aligns with what you're also doing. And honestly, going through the process, it was intense and it was thorough, but it also made us feel like, wow, we're doing a lot of the right things already. And it was reassuring and validating. So we feel really proud of the things that we've already implemented and like our diverse board and our diverse team, our leadership team and women in leadership. And we're, we're really up there as far as where the benchmarks are. So that, that was very validating to go through the process. That's awesome. Well, we're excited to have you join the community. You know, Be Local Georgia, we've grown. We've doubled in size from 9 to 18 over the last two years. And we have Inclusive and I think four or five more in the queue. So we'll have to have a big, uh, hopefully, in-person celebration soon if we're allowed to. So That would be awesome. Count me in. Well, Jen, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for the insights. It's been lovely just going through this process, getting to know you, getting to know more about Inclusive and just everything that you're bringing to the Atlanta community and well now because we're virtual to the world. So the world. yeah, awesome. so exciting. If people want to learn more about inclusive, if they want to follow you to get more of these insights, where should we direct them to? Well, you can come to our, go to our website, inclusive with two fees.co or go to follow. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jen Graham on LinkedIn or Instagram inclusive.co. Those are the ones that we're really talking about. So, or if you want to email me directly, Jen, J E N N, at inclusive, uh, inclusive with two V's, no E, dot co. And don't worry, everybody, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> so, in case you can't spell it right, there's also this little search engine thing you can use to <laughs> inclusive Atlanta. It should show up. So, thank you again for being here. And thank, thank you, you to our listeners for joining us. Always excited for these conversations and excited for the wisdom that our listeners get to glean from leaders like you. So, thank you, Jen. Thank you, Nathan. Cheers. Hey, this is Jeff Bond. And thank you so much for investing your time with us today. We'd be thrilled for you to subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please also visit our LinkedIn page to join our leadership community by clicking follow. We're grateful for your engagement and for sharing the inspiration coming from our guests so we can add value to aspiring leaders in your network. Have a remarkable week and go be a leader worth following.